Welcome to Freed Up. This is the podcast space where life feels lighter. You know, sometimes life can have us feeling worn out and weighed down, locked up and left out, or just simply looking for more. And if that sounds like you, then you are in the right place. Freed Up has a word for you. I'm your host, Tina Robertson. And in today's episode, we're talking to Melissa about her harrowing ordeal with an unexpected health crisis that was life-threatening, and yet she couraged up to overcome. You've got to hear her story. Listen in to part one. I hope you're blessed as much as I've been. Stay tuned. I'm so super excited that you said yes to be on Freed Up and even more grateful about the fact that you started listening to Freed Up a while back. And so um, thank you for doing that and also agreeing to to come on and share. Um, I always like to let the listeners know that um, I love talking to what I call everyday chicks because I don't have a podcast where I get to have big names come, but I'm kind of in a mixed space with you because you're kind of like a big name and you're an everyday chick. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just think it's important that people get to hear from women and men who they could run into at the grocery store or at the post mm-hmm. office. And you know how we talk sometimes and we get into conversation and share stories. And that's just so cool to be able to have that person that you think, man, I could have their experience or they could have mine. And so that's what we really value on Freed Up. So I appreciate you coming and being like a big name and an everyday chick at the same time. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. So listen, I'm really pumped to talk about you and your story. But um, I think one of the things that I can say to listeners is that I know you because you were my clinical supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am very blessed because in large part, I'm a clinical social worker because of you. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for saying that. And I um, do want to say that you have favorite interns, but there are interns that stand out or supervisees that stand out. And you are definitely one of the ones that stood out. And so um, I think I learned as much from you um, during the process too. So, Oh, that's sweet. And I'll just, I'll just go with the fact that standout is in a positive way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> I love it. Well, so speaking of social work, because I mm-hmm. believe that out of all the mental health disciplines and, you know, certainly um, all of them have value. I mean, it's yeah. we need all of them to to really help us in this journey and this aspect of healing. But of course, we have a special hearts for social work. And so talk mm-hmm. a little bit about um, how you got involved in social work, what drew you to it, and why social work for you? Um, so it's a funny story. I um, goes back to college. So I was a business major in college. And um, I got in the business school and I picked marketing because I was like, why not? I don't like numbers, but I'm in the business school. Um, And then it was the spring of my junior year and I was down in Austin and must have been a sorority function or something, but the parents, our parents were in town. And so 
a dear friend of mine, her mother was there and she was talking and she was a licensed marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. And I basically said, do you get paid to listen to people? And she's like, <laughs> well, yeah, but there's a little more to it. And I was like, but really like people just come and you listen. And she's like, well, yeah, basically. And I said, oh, and I was like, well, it's my junior year. I can't imagine switching majors at that point. And so yeah. I was like, no, I'll graduate. I'll go volunteer. And so then I started volunteering and I was like, oh, this is it. Mm. And I don't know if I considered any other like going to counseling for a counseling master's or um, licensed in marriage and family therapist. I think I was just drawn to social work mm-hmm. because different people I interacted with at the volunteer places and then different family members have been social workers in different roles. And I think that just kind of led me to that social work piece. Yeah. Interesting that you said you wouldn't switch your major at that late stage and um, you decided to volunteer. And so that volunteering actually like totally bit you for the work. It did. And um, because I think I stumbled through the jobs, like I worked in an ad agency and then the American Heart Association um, before and I was volunteering and it just wasn't ever a right fit. And so I volunteered and got into grad school and I remember the first semester it was like oh okay this is this is how you're supposed to feel and like it was just yeah. exciting and yeah it just made sense oh I yeah. love it when you get a chance to literally come into the thing that you feel like this is my purpose like this is why yeah. I'm here um And really, honestly, you know, our theme for this year is about courage. So I'm always thinking about those ties that come back to what courage really means in our lives. So, you know, Mm -hmm. amazing that you decided, hey, to make a decision that this is not the path that I want to take, that I really want to do something else. And I think sometimes even for people who are listening, that that can seem daunting. And there may be somebody that's in that space now where they're just thinking about, man, I'm kind of, you know, we're in this pandemic thing and I'm realizing that I'm in a space where something may or may not be for me. So, hey, Mm -hmm. go for it. Melissa is living proof that you can do that. (laughs) Yes. And it was the best decision. You mean, I remember thinking like, you just hear things. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to work for Child Protective Services. I'm not going to make any money. Um, I'm not going to do anything. And Yeah, I just, I haven't looked back. That was one decision that um, I've never regretted and I just haven't looked back. And so. I can, I can totally uh, agree with that feeling, Um, especially Mm -hmm. the part about not making any money. (laughs) Now, I will have to say, I did question that in the early stages. I thought, ooh, (laughs) that theory. Um, but yeah, e- eventually it, it evens itself out and the, the passion it for it just continues to drive the different places that you can go. And eventually the, the money part does come. Yes. So how long have you been a social worker? Um, I graduated in 2003. Um, and I think I got my license in, so graduated in 2003. I think I got my license in 2005. Mm-hmm. And so. I guess, um, 15, 17 years. Okay. Yeah. 
a good yeah. a good amount of time to really know if this is where you're supposed to be. And so, I mean, it yeah. seems like you've been doing it 15, even 30, um, just because your your wisdom and your expertise is so valuable. And it's, what I can say that I think is really cool is that there are probably hundreds of us out here working in this field because you decided to leave marketing. <laughs> I'm in the social work and give your talents and expertise there. And so matter of fact, Mm -hmm. I remember hearing you in a professional development training at a place I knew very well. And I said, as you spoke, I didn't know you. And I said, I'm going to contact her and see if I can go and intern for her. And so, hey, Mm -hmm. look what happened. Look at us now. So you've had unlimited number of interns and you've, you actually um, continue, obviously, to do therapeutic work yourself. So mm-hmm. is there like a particular maybe intern experience or an experience with a client that you thought, wow, this really confirms the fact that I need to be in this space and that people really do need these, these mental health services? I think um, the interns I could probably go on and on about. There's different um, individuals who stand out, but the clients, so like it almost all came flooding back to me like all these different clients started coming back and thinking about them and um there's one in particular that um got me into the trauma field because that's been my focus like abuse and violence that's what I've done um and it was back in my internship and I was doing a year-long um internship at an elementary school and I was on Christmas break and I remember there was a news story about a little girl who had been abused in her home and they had it on the news and everything and I remember seeing the street sign and I was like that has to be my client um and I remember coming back after the break and talking to my supervisor and saying hey I saw a news story and she's like that's what we're going to talk about today and um I met with that client and I remember her saying um, she had something to tell me and she didn't want me to be mad at her. And then she disclosed to me what had happened to her. And that that little girl has set it off and led me down the trauma path because I don't think anybody should be should feel bad about speaking what happened to them. That client has always stayed in the back of my mind that this is why I do this. I went down this path. Yeah. So much, um, so much power in opening up the space for people Mm -hmm. who feel like they can actually share those very difficult and dark and really painful experiences. Um, because that trust between the therapist and that client and the environment that's created, especially for kids is so important. Yes. And so yeah, just thinking about it, there's just so many clients, um, so many different things. And that's what I always said is, that's why I like to work with children and teens, because they say, I mean, it's awful what they have gone through, but to see them and to see them have that shift in mm-hmm. therapy when they are nine times out of 10, they are blaming themselves and you see that shift and you see that mm-hmm. progress and it's just so rewarding that they're open to that going along and I get to join that journey with them. So I could go on and on because I've learned so much from the clients and it was just, like I said, it all came 
flooding back of the different memories and different things and different clients. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, working with children and teens is a lot of people love to target that space because they feel like, hey, there's so much um, opportunity to shift and generationally make change. And it, it's so true. Mm -hmm. And then I know that you also work with adults as well because they are, um, you know, in the system, very important to support kids and, and teens as they're kind of navigating and wading through all of this that they're having to deal with. So, um, mm -hmm. and speaking of adults and talking about all the systems work, you know, as we think about supporting, especially as mental health professionals, because right now, we are being called upon in large demand <laughs> of what's happening with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I say pandemic, but I should say pandemics because there's so yes. many things that are happening. And so um, I was talking with a, a medical, an MD, um, who told me, he said, he was actually a cardiologist, and he said, um, in the next three to five years, we are going to see mental illness hit a height that we've never seen before. And, um, and so I started thinking about that. What are your thoughts about that as you think about, hey, all of this that's happening, what, what, you know, what's happening ahead of us? I, yes, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, and I think just even seeing, I think there's a school district that they've upped their numbers in mental health and social workers and counseling. I think of you when I hear the school um, and the mental health and the training. And so I just think there's going to be such a need for that. And I think people may be a little more open to it um, now. And that's always, I mean, I think everybody should go to therapy, but um, that's my personal <laughs> I second opinion. that. I second that. <laughs> so. I, think, I think it's important for the listeners to hear that. Um, but I, I do mm -hmm. believe there's so many people listening, thinking, and maybe even on the fence about it and say, hey, should I? Um, maybe mm -hmm. my issue isn't as big as some of somebody else's, but it's just helpful to have so. a space to, yeah, to just sit down and, and, mm -hmm. and have somebody to, to talk through with it that can guide and facilitate that journey for you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this, this whole pandemic piece came out of nowhere and that's yeah. a big part of trauma. Like this is a global trauma. Um, and I know that's mm -hmm. an area of expertise for you, trauma, violence of women, um, abuse and violence against kids. That's a big area that you've done your work in for many years. Um, and I got to learn mm -hmm. so much from you about that. But thinking about this pandemic that came out of nowhere and all of us are like shaken by it. And yet right. you had your own experience with mm -hmm. a crisis that came out of nowhere. And it was a health crisis that affected you. So can you talk a little bit about that experience? What was, what was it and what was that like for you? So um, I have a friend who referred to it as my long winter's nap. And so I noticed that I call it that. That's what I refer to it as. Um, so I had some health issues back in January of, or February of 2018, right in the, I mean, work was busy at the hospital I was working at um, and I was about we were about six to eight weeks out from planning our wedding or our wedding was happening in March um, <sighs> and so I had my bachelorette party we went out to Arizona and I came back and 
things were busy and events going on and working and all of that. And then um, one day I, or one night, it was in the middle of the night, um, I woke up and I um, stopped breathing and had some issues. And so I was rushed to the emergency room and mm. it was the blood clot um, that had ha- that had affected me. And so I was in the hospital for probably early March, February 4th, and until about, I was discharged, I think, like March 12th. So about six weeks or so. Um, then I went into a rehab hospital, and that was about two weeks that I stayed there. And everything that had gone on, I feel very lucky because I still had my ability to talk. Um, mm. I had most of my memory. Um, and then I, I mean, I didn't have major, I didn't have significant impact. I still was required to go to the rehab hospital and then I had to go to an outpatient rehab center. But compared to some other individuals, I went through a lot, but I was very lucky because mm-hmm. I could still walk and um, had full function of my um, limbs and everything. And so, so then I ended up in outpatient cognitive rehab. Um, I have to specify that. Um, I got called out during a conversation. Um, a woman, I said rehab and a woman was like, she kept looking at my mouth and I was just, she's like, I'm sorry, I'm just checking your teeth because you're saying rehab. And I automatically think substance abuse. Yeah. And so she's like, I was trying to see and I was like, oh no, it's cognitive and things like that. She's like, okay. So yeah, I went to outpatient rehab for about, I was there from, I think the end of March until September. Mm-hmm. And I was there and had no clue what outpatient rehab entails. And mm-hmm. it is Monday through Friday for most people, Monday through Friday. And then we went from nine to four. So it was like a full-time job. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I, I remember that time frame so well I really do um and when you were in the hospital for six weeks um were you in ICU and were you conscious like what was that like so I don't remember um I was in ICU for a while um I believe this is all being told um for the first part was being told to me because I don't remember I was in ICU and I woke up um, or I had purposeful movement, which was a key word my family was hanging on to because that's what the doctors kept saying, like, she needs to show purposeful movement. And so I did that around the end of February, right around my brother's birthday. And then I was awake. I was in, I was in ICU and then they moved me up to the third floor. I don't really remember February, like all oh, February is just gone. Um, yeah. But I remember that third floor hospital room and my family would talk about the second floor and I remember saying like they'd talk about all these people that were on the second floor and I was like it sounds like a party and they're like Melissa it's not a party like <laughs> please don't say that yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. Not a party. so um so yeah I remember being in the hospital um towards the end of February begin or early March um, and remember that and everything. And um, I think I probably drove the nursing staff 
insane because I kept telling them that I was I had worked at a, or I was working at a hospital and I asked them if they screened for abuse and violence and I kept repeating that question over and over. So my family's like, she's fine. Like, yeah, I was gonna say, oh, she's good. If she's if she's asking them questions about that, then she's yes. okay. And why they don't ask these questions? And so yeah. Yeah, what I'm sure that had to be um, totally overwhelming to come out of nowhere. And you were in the process mm -hmm. of planning a wedding. You were literally yes. a month to six weeks out. So mm -hmm. I, what was that like for your fiance? <laughs> um, it was, I think it was very challenging. Um, and that thinking about um that we were talking tonight, that was one of the big things. I think for the both of us, we both had support systems and really strong support systems. And so he has a really good support system. Um, my family is here and they have a really, I have a really good support system and friends and my mom and sister-in-law just took the reins and rescheduled everything. I think they asked me down the road how this date worked and they took care of everything. That yeah. is so, so important. Um, mm -hmm. the, the support system. And we talk a lot about that on Freed Up, just how important community is. Yes. And I know it's challenging in this time because, you know, our community looks different. It's mostly yes. virtual and we're doing drive-bys, but it's still so important. Um, mm -hmm. And just from hearing you talk about this, it sounds like they were a big part of you being able to push through um, the whole experience. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it, it continued through my rehab. And I had a doctor, um, one of my follow-up visits, he's the only doctor I actually remember mm -hmm. seeing um, in the hospital. And his last name is related to a Star Trek character. But he had a Star Wars ringtone, and my husband's really big into Star Wars, and so that doctor really stood out. But I remember during my follow-up visit with him, he said, you know, I have seen people who've gone through something similar, and they didn't have the support system mm -hmm. that you had, and mm -hmm. those individuals are not here, and you're sitting here in my follow-up visit, and he's like, you had a lot of people supporting you and praying for you. And so, yeah. Wow. Just to hear that, um, you know, we, we did a prayer vigil uh, because as mm -hmm. you mentioned, we, you know, we were working in a hospital setting and we, the, the chaplain opened up the space for us to come and the people, I mean, there were so many people there who had interned with you, worked for you, um, and it was so such a powerful opportunity to get to pray for you during that time, and then to see you in recovery, we knew it was a miracle because we knew that mm -hmm. there was a chance that you wouldn't be here, and right. you are, and so, um, you know, what a miracle, and just kind of encouraged for anybody that's listening that, you know, miracles are always possible and that God yes. gets inside and he decided and so of course we were so grateful for that and you being here is just yes. a living example of a walking miracle I say that a lot about you that you're a walking mm -hmm. miracle um talk a little bit about how this all affected your mental health 
still that's a big piece. It's all tied together. That physical piece, the shock of it all, um, not knowing what happened to you. What was that like? Mm-hmm. It was a, it was scary. Um, definitely, I tend to be an anxious person to begin with. Um, or before all this happened, so it was definitely there were different moments where I was going along and I seemed to be okay. And then I would almost get fixated or um, almost to the point of obsessive on things and worrying about a lot of things. And so that was definitely heightened, um, that worry. Um, I was just mentally and physically exhausted. So it definitely took a toll. And I think a big piece of it too was there was that role switch. You know, I was so used to mm-hmm. being a social worker and yeah. being kind of the helper and to be in this role of being a client or a patient was, especially in rehab, it was, mm. that was an adjustment. And so I also think um, with any trauma, there's the stages of grief that you go mm. through. Mm-hmm. And so... I could definitely, I would say that to my clients all the time in different situations, but I could see that with myself of going through those different stages. Mm-hmm. Lots of sadness, lots of um, anxiety, lots of anger. Um, mm-hmm. I had one, I will never forget this. Um, it was a group therapy session in rehab and um I was stumbling with trying to figure out what to say. And another patient, he turned and said, it sounds like you're pretty angry. And that lit something off. And I was like, mm. well, yeah, that's what it is. And so, um, yeah, yeah, just kind of acknowledging yeah. all of that. So yeah. of, it took a toll, <laughs> but it was also really rewarding of how to truly take care of myself and, um mm-hmm. yeah how to truly take care of myself and know my limits and rest so if you didn't believe in miracles before i hope that you're fully convinced now after hearing the first part of melissa's story and hey you may be out there struggling with your own physical health issue maybe feeling down about it maybe feeling a little bit anxious or maybe sad or going through the stages of grief, much like Melissa talked about, I wanna encourage you with these words. They are the words of the Apostle Paul found in the New Testament book, Romans chapter eight, verse 35 and 38. I share them with you. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger, or threatened with death. No, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Listen, keep praying, be encouraged, fuel your hope. Stay fervent in your faith and know as you go through this time, God loves you. I love you and make sure you take care of you.